Pastor Brian is out. He's preaching at a conference this weekend. He's actually uh, preaching right now, and uh, he has another time to teach yet today, and, and he'll be back. And uh, so I'm filling in. He asked if I would uh, preach a few weeks ago, and um, I'm always going to take the opportunity. My name's Jason. I'm one of the ABF uh, pastors here, Adult Bible Fellowship pastors here at, at Heartland. Uh, teach the Passpoint class. Um, and so... Um, that's that's where I come from. That's why I'm here. But uh, it's kind of like the week, it's the calm before the storm. Uh, a week from today, the Vision Conference starts. And for those of you who know what the Vision Conference is, it's it's a week of uh, utter uh, designed chaos. It's uh, great. Uh, it's a week that we basically build our entire church calendar around. Uh, some of you would know it as a missions conference, but... Uh, it is a really exciting week at HBF. Um, we have church uh, not only on Sunday morning, but then we come back on Sunday night. If you didn't know, we actually do have church service every Sunday night, uh, prayer service, just throwing that out there. But uh, uh, we we actually, everybody comes on Sunday night, and uh, we get together for a reception. We have a meal. It's not something we usually do at HBF, but we have a meal. Uh, and this year, Brian Barry, missionary to Ireland, is going to be our main speaker. And so... Um, this isn't just an infomercial for that, but I just want to get you guys and make sure that you're aware of what's coming because not only do we have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, but then there's also uh, day sessions from 9 to noon on Monday and Tuesday. And you're like, oh, don't I have to work? Uh, I promise if you uh, were to make time to be here, you would be blessed. Uh, there's also church on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night uh, from 6.30 to 8, normal church time. Um, I believe that's the correct time, is normal time. But anyway, you can check your bulletin for all that. Uh, I promise if you came to any of those, it, it would be a, a blessed time uh, to be here. And so I say all that to say I'm going to do my best to not go long uh, and get you out of here on time today and uh, get ready for the upcoming week because there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, be in prayer. If you don't know what to be in specific prayer about, uh, just be in prayer for the conference because there are a lot of moving parts. There's a team coming from uh, Maple City Baptist uh, to take care of our kids. There's there's all the different things going on, and so there's a lot uh, upcoming in the next week. And so today, uh, when when Pastor Brian asked me if I would preach, uh, a lot of times I have something kind of uh, in my in my back pocket, so to speak. Of if you know the next time I get an opportunity to. Uh, to teach or preach, you know, I teach every morning at Passpoint, but uh, every Sunday morning, but uh, I, I would have something. I didn't really have anything on the top of my head, uh, but I've been reading through uh, the Bible a different way this year, and so uh, kind of this story that popped up out of the book of Numbers, I think you've got some notes that you can go along with in your bulletin. I tried to keep up with Pastor Brian a little bit when I do things like that, uh, so you had something to follow along with, but if you're not a notes person, I'm fine with that as well. But uh, the story that kind of came up, and so the title I have uh, today, if you're a title kind of person, uh, is what am I willing to trade? And you'll find out what I mean when I get there um, as to what I'm talking about. But we live in a society that is always thinking of what they would be willing to trade or to give for that. You know, uh, some of you might already be thinking about, I'd be willing to give 10 bucks for a good cheeseburger if this guy would get done and uh, we could go have lunch or but it doesn't matter what you do in life, uh, I would trade this for that. I would give this much money for that. I would do this for that. We always think about the next job opportunity. Well, if, if this was offered, I would be willing. Or the next ministry opportunity. Well, if this was to come up, I would definitely take it. And a lot of times we have these things premeditated or pre-thought in our mind. And we don't really give God any thought as to what he would think of any of those things. But that's just something to think about. You know, we think I would give this much money for this, or worse yet, I would give this much time for that. And it seems like everything we have and been given is in one way or another a bargaining chip for the next thing that we could have, right? Everything that we do already have or have been given is already in our minds, whether you want it to be or not, a bargaining chip for the next thing that you could have, right? Uh, you're blessed with uh, a home, and you're thinking, well, if I could sell this one when the market's right, I could have a different one. Or you, you're given a, a car, you're given whatever it is, and you're, without even knowing, that's just the culture that we live in. Some of this comes from the world that we live in just simply having influence on us, but most of it simply comes from not being content with what we've been given, um, if you just boil it all down. Uh, I kind of just shoot straight with people when I teach. Most of you guys know that about me. Some I see a lot of new faces I don't know. Uh, if you are a guest, I do want to say welcome for Pastor Brian. Uh, specifically, he did uh, say hello. He wishes he could be here. He'll be back next week. So uh, feel free to come back. 
to, to hear him. But uh, I kind of call it like it is. And a lot of times it's just because we're not content with what we've been given. And so we're always thinking about what we could have. Um, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? If you want godliness, you can have it with great gain if you'll just simply be content with what you've been given. Philippians 4.11, think about the fact that Paul was in jail when he wrote this. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He's in prison when he says this. It's not like he's on the beach and he says, you know, I've learned to be content with where I'm at. No, he's in jail and he says, "Um, I've learned to be content. As Christians, we have something even better something the world doesn't even understand uh, that we have. We have have God's word, the truth of God's word. We would never trade that, right? We would never, you know, I I would trade a lot of things, but I would never trade in God's word. And and there's a reason this kind of monologue is going on. I'm trying to get somewhere, and I'm trying to get your mind somewhere. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 25, I know this isn't written directly to uh, a born-again believer, but the world we live in, if the shoe fits, sometimes you have to wear it, says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to their uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25 is where I want to get to. It says, who changed the truth, who traded the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the world we live in. We trade in the truth that we've got for something that we might be able to have. Uh, We trade in the truth that we do know for something that we hope could be. And you might be here today and thinking, I don't even want to be here. Well, I mean, praise the Lord you're here. Uh, God has a purpose for everything that happens. But we can't take the truth that we do have and trade it in for something that we think might be. And we'll get to what I'm talking about. So all of this got me to thinking, because <clears throat> that's what I do. I tend to overthink things. I internally process things. Uh, I don't only want to know that things work. I don't only like to flip a light switch and know that the light is going to come on. I like to know why it's going to happen the way that it does. And I tend to like think through things just in general in life. And <clears throat> why would we do that? Why would we as a church, because I'm not here to uh, teach the lost. Um, you, you can't teach a lost person uh, anything. The Word of God can uh, open itself and reveal and illuminate uh, to anyone. But uh, you can't teach anyone anybody. You cannot teach anyone anything that they don't already want to learn. And here's what I mean by that. I was shared the gospel a lot of times in my life, and it meant nothing to me until I was ready to actually hear it. And so what I'm here today to do is to talk to the church. And if you are here and you're lost today, uh, I do pray that the Word of God meets you where you're at. I pray that uh, you will understand the truth of what God's Word is and what it says and what it can do for your life. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the question I had in my mind is, why are so many Christians, that's us, the church, we're here on a Sunday morning, it's beautiful outside, spring is finally here, it's starting to feel like it anyway, uh, Why are so many Christians willing to trade what they know to be true for something so temporal or meaningless? That's the question that I have for you today, right? And so I have just kind of a basic understanding, some things that I have learned over the years of uh, of following the Lord and, and trying my best to give him the glory for everything I do, some major flaws in the way that many Christians think. And so we'll jump into this, and then we'll get to uh, the passage I want to get to, and it'll all kind of make a little bit of sense when we get done, I hope. So let's pray, and we'll get rolling here. Father, uh, we need you. We need you because your word is what is true. Uh, I don't have anything to say, Lord, um, but your word, it has a lot to say. Um, I can't do anything uh, to stir up uh, the, the spirit of God in people, but you can. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would use the things that you've showed me is not only a way to stir us up, but to convict us. Lord, I pray that we walk out of here changed. Uh, I pray that nobody comes and and hears the word of God taught, and not because it's from me, and leaves the same. Because your word is true, it's alive, and if we will take it seriously and apply it to our life, 
Lord, we can be changed. We can be more like you every day. Lord, I pray you would speak to us today. Uh, be with Pastor Brian as he's out preaching. Uh, keep him safe in his travels. Be with his family. Lord, I pray you get all the honor and the glory because you're the only person who deserves it. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so I want to just understand some some major, these aren't small things, these are some major flaws in many Christians' thinking. Now, I don't say all Christians because a lot of people have it quote-unquote figured out. They understand how to uh, repent when they fall away and to get back on track with the Word of God. But uh, here is here is some some flaws in the way that that we think and where we get off track. Because if you ever ask yourself this question, I can't believe that that person fell away. I can't believe that that somebody who was that bought in was able to get tripped up. How did the adversary have that much of an effect? I thought that the word of God was really ingrained in their life. And I'm sure that most of us in here can think of somebody in their life that would think, yeah, I I never would have thought that about X, Y, or Z. I've seen men stand in this pulpit, God forbid, that have fallen away because that's what happens. Uh, The adversary is seeking whom he may devour. Church, and if you think you're above that, um, please guard yourself. The first thing today is many Christians today are willing to trade their identity in Christ because they do not have a proper understanding of their calling from Christ. And I'll explain what I mean in these statements, and I'll circle back around, but just track with what I'm saying here, because if we can grasp this first concept then then the thing that I want to finish up with will make a lot more sense. But many Christians, they are willing to trade their identity in Christ, which is what? What is your identity in Christ? Well, it is born again, right? Uh, I think it's Matthew West says that, uh, you know, my name is a child of the one true king, right? And he sings it better than I ever could. And, you know, we, we are given a new name. We're given a new purpose. We are called. We are set apart, right? All of the different things that we know to be true, right? We are sealed. We're secured, <clears throat> We are all the things that God says that we are, but a lot of times we just forget those things. And you might say, well, why do we forget those things? Well, it starts because we lose our identity in Christ because, excuse me, we don't have a proper understanding of our calling from Christ. Well, what is my calling from Christ? Some people would call that the plan of God. That is God's individual plan for your life. That's different than the will of God for your life. We'll get to that in a minute. But we lose track of what God has called us, specifically me, Specifically, when you're talking to yourself, what has God told me to do? Too often we grasp out into the, the ether, as Brian calls it, uh, the air, and, and we say, what is God telling us to do, the church? And God has given some overarching themes for the church to do, but man, he, he speaks directly to you. And what has God told you specifically to do? Have you grabbed onto that? We lose our identity in Christ because we don't have a proper understanding of what our calling from Christ is. That's a problem because when we don't have a proper understanding of what our calling is, if we don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do, then we try to accomplish godly things in our own will instead of God's will. That's a problem. We try to do things in the church or we try to do godly things, things that quote-unquote bring God glory but we try to do them in our own will. Why do we do that? Well, because we don't really know what God's will for our life is. There's only two, <clears throat> there's only a will of God for two groups of people in the world. There's a will of God for somebody who's lost, and there's a will of God for somebody who's saved. If you're lost, the will of God is not for you to be a better wife or a better husband, a better parent, a better you fill in the blank. The will of God for your life, if you're lost, is to get saved. That's the only will that God has for your life. Well, that doesn't sound... No, I promise. The only thing that God desires for your life, if you're lost, is to be a child of the one true king. Once you do that, it changes. Once you do that, the will of God for your life will be the same for the rest of your life, but it might mean a lot of different things. The will of God for your life, once you're saved, is to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be more like Jesus every day. That is the will of God. To understand that. If you're lost, it's to be saved. If, it's, if you're saved, it's to be sanctified. Okay. So what happens is when we try to do, quote, unquote, godly things in our will, because it's like, well, I'll do it the best I can, right? I don't really know what to do, so I'll do the best I can. And guess what, guys? I understand what that's like. I understand what it's like to 
fake it till you make it sometimes because I just don't have the direction. I don't feel like I have the calling. I feel like I am just being drugged through the mud, whatever it is. Don't forget, if you're a Christian, you have a target on your back. There are fiery darts coming from the devil all the time. The adversary, he's throwing the darts all the time. We don't have a proper understanding of our calling from Christ. So we try to accomplish godly things, things in the church. We try to minister. We try to do all of that in our own will because that's the best we can do instead of God's will. And that's a bigger problem because when we do godly things, things that are supposed to be giving God the glory in our own will instead of God's will, well then... Now you're no longer walking in the will of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. As a Christian, to not be walking in the will of God. That's like, when you're walking in the will of God, it's like when it starts raining, you don't have to worry about getting wet because you are protected by the umbrella of Christ. You're protected by all of the promises that that the Word of God says are true for your life. But when you decide to step outside of the will of God and say, I don't need that. I don't want that. I don't, uh, sometimes we tell ourselves, I don't deserve that, right? And so we start with this walking of, well, I'm not in the will of God. Well, now you're, you know, you're, you're the lone ranger. You can go do whatever you want, whenever you want, because, you, man, you're you, right? That's what we tell ourselves. We can do all of this, and when we're doing things in our will, we aren't walking in the will of God. And that leads us to the biggest problem of all of this, as you kind of think through this this cycle of thinking, is when we're out of the will of God, you know what happens? You're willing to trade your identity in Christ. Back to the beginning. When you find yourself out of the will of God, you find yourself thinking that there's just no hope for me, that, man, I'm just broken, I'm, I'm too messed up, I'm too far gone, I'm too this, I'm too that, I just don't, you fill in the blank. Well, now you're back to the beginning, and you you ask yourself, why would somebody be willing to do that? Well, I just told you why. Because we fall into this cycle of not just believing what the Word of God says you are. You fall into the cycle that you're willing to trade your identity for whatever it is that the world has to offer because you don't understand your calling. You haven't asked God what it is that you want me to do. I get it. He wants the church to reach the world. What's your part in that? I get it. He wants the ministries to be full. Mitch would love it if the, the children's wing was full every week. You know what? I, I think I could speak for Mitch when I say this, and maybe he'll tell me I'm wrong. He would rather you be called to the ministry than feel like you were pushed into it. And I think every ministry at the church is like that. Why? Because you need to find out what God has told you to do. Because if it's not what you're called to do, you know what happens? Then you, 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 you don't understand your calling from Christ and now you're trying to do godly things in your will. You're trying to force it. You're trying to do ministry in the flesh. You're trying to, well, that's a problem. Why? Well, because now you're doing those godly things in your will and you're not in God's will and now you're not walking in God's will and now you're like, well, I don't even know what to do. I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's not, it's not godly because, can I just, can I just tell you a secret? Most of all of this comes because we're too busy to open this. Most all of this comes because we're too busy to get in the Word of God. What do you have for me today, Lord? Right? What do you want me to do? I understand that there's a lot of, like, things that I ought to be doing, but, like, specifically, what do you want me to do? When you can buy into what God has called you to do, man, there's peace in that. There's security in that. Right? And so, with all of this thinking... This answers the question, right? You want to know how not to fall away, how not to end up in a a backslidden place to, to keep your identity in Christ? Don't fall into this cycle, okay? But I'm going to assume that there might be at least one person in here who has struggled with this or struggles with something like this, right? And so I'm going to I'm going to show you something that the Word of God showed me recently. I've I've seen this before multiple times, but there was kind of a new twist on it. If you have your Bibles open up to uh, the book of uh, Numbers, I want to find the right chapter. It's not here. Uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 32. And we're going to read through this uh, piece by piece. I purposely kept uh, the seven points short because if you've ever come to Pass Point, you know that I like to turn uh, seven points into seven weeks, and we don't have time for that uh, this morning. And so uh, some very basic things, seven things that we sacrifice when we trade tomorrow's promises for today's pleasures because this is what happens. This is what happened in this story. 
And this is what happens in our lives. This is what happens when we find ourselves in a place where we're like, yes, I understand that's what the Word of God says I could be, but I just, I, I'm not willing to put the work into it. I'm not willing to really lay it down. Uh, I just don't feel like I'm worthy. You fill in the blank as to why, and then the next thing you know, you're in a place that you should not be. Right? Not just physically, but spiritually. Right? Seven things that we sacrifice when we trade tomorrow's promises for today's pleasures. And in verse one of, uh, ex, or not Exodus, I don't know why I'm in Exodus. Give me a second to get there. Numbers, chapter 32. So this chapter, let me just give you a little bit of background for a minute. Brian, Pastor Brian, if you've been here, uh, is teaching through the book of Exodus, right? And so right now, the, the, the children of Israel, they are slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, I'm going to assume that a lot of you uh, have read the story and you understand uh, what happens at the end of, of this story. If not, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin the end of the movie for you. But guess what? The children of Israel, they do get out of Egypt, just like God said they would. I know it's a shocker. God came through, right? It's crazy the fact that, you know, we, we're like, oh, my gosh, God actually did what he Yeah, he did. Just like he always does. Okay, so God, they get out of Egypt. And so <clears throat> now they're on their way to the promised land, Right. Hallelujah. We're on our way to the promised land, just like God has promised. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jeff, all the guys, we're headed to the promised land. And as they're on their way and they get to the border of it, a little bit before this, where we're at right now, <clears throat> Moses sends in 12 guys, one guy from every tribe. And he's like, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in for 40 days and I want you to search out the land, right? Just see what it's like and come back and tell us what it's like. Tell us how everything that God said is true, right? It doesn't say anything about tell us about the people in land. It just says, hey, go and tell us about the land. And so they go and they do it and then they come back and, well, it didn't turn out well for them, right? Ten of the guys are like, we could never do that. These people are huge. There's no way that God can come through. They must have forgot that God parted the Red Sea, right? Just like walls of water and they walked through the middle of it, right? They've already forgotten the amazing things that God has done. And so what happens? And we'll get back to the story in a minute, but what happens? Uh, God says, okay, because you guys weren't willing to just obey and believe, uh, everyone who is from this day old or from this day forward, 20 years old and older will die in the wilderness and your children will inherit the promised land. So now 40 years or, or more than 40 years have passed. They've, they've spent this, this time in the wilderness. Now all these people who were 20 years old and older have passed away save Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who were willing to go, and they're ready to go into the land, right? They're ready to go in and claim the inheritance that God has given them. Now, I understand we don't live in the Old Testament, so you're like, why does this apply to me at all? Uh, well, I believe if you would spend some time in the Word, you would understand that the Word of God has promised you a lot of things, right? You have an eternity of promises coming, right? And so the question, back to the beginning, is what are you willing to trade? They're getting ready to go into the promised land, getting ready to cross. And here's what happens. Chapter 30, Numbers chapter 32 and verse 1, it says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw that the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. This is the land just on this side of the promised land, right? It's a good land, but it's not the promised land. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation saying, uh, Adaroth and Dibia, or, uh, Dibon and, and Jazer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Ilia, or Elea, and, and Shebom and Nebo and, and Beon, even the country which the Lord hath smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle and thy servants have cattle. They're like, hey, uh, I can see how this is adding up, and it's, you know, I, the world that I live in, this could be a benefit to me, is what they're saying. Verse 5, Wherefore, said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession, and bring us not over Jordan. They're trading what they can see for what God has promised them. They're trading what is right in front of their face. Sometimes it looks good for the promises of God. The first thing that we sacrifice when we trade tomorrow's promise for today's pleasure, we sacrifice faith. Well, what is faith? When you just, if somebody was asked you, what is, what is faith? It is the core of our existence as a Christian, right? Without faith, we are, we're nothing. If our DNA is who we are as a person, right? Each person is uh, known by their DNA, right? If our DNA, DNA is who we are as a person, then our faith is who we are as a believer, right? 
you might say, well, no, I'm, I'm a Christian because I have the blood of Christ. It took faith for you to believe that. It took simple faith with no works whatsoever for you to believe that Jesus Christ was enough and that his perfection was enough to take over for your unrighteousness. For all of the things that salvation is, it took your simple faith to get you there, right? And you might say, well, that's a work. No, it's, it's just simply believing. I believe that Jesus Christ was enough and that I'm not enough. That is what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is what faith is. It is just simply believing what we don't see. God has promised us a lot of things. I can't see them yet. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 2.6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. All of these things are because we had faith enough to follow. 2 Timothy 4 verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All of these things are promises to you because you had simple faith. And without simple faith, none of these things apply to you. You have to believe first. Right? Too often people come to the church because they're broken and beat up and their their knees are all scraped. Or, I mean, heck, sometimes their forehead's all scraped up. They're all beat up and the world has just wrung them out and kicked them to the curb. And they come to the church because they know that there's some sort of hope there. And there's truth in that. But we would be amiss to treat symptoms and not the problem. The problem is you're lost and you don't know Christ. The problem is without Jesus Christ being the sacrificial atonement for your sin, fixing your symptoms will only make you a better person when you get to hell. And there are no good people when you get there. It's, it just takes simple faith. It just When we sacrifice who we are, for what we can have today, that's a major problem in our Christian walk. And that's what we do sometimes. And I say we because I do it. Sometimes there are there are times when it's just like the world has too much to offer. And I'm not talking about some egregious sin, but you know, sometimes it's just whatever it is. You've said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm 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 saying I'm sanctifying this time, right? Or whatever it is. And when we sacrifice who we are, when we when we don't just have the simple faith that we're called to have, because we can have something right here. These guys said, man, this land is really good and we've got a lot of cattle. We don't really know what the promised land's like. They say it's really good, but what happens if we get over there and it's not that good? There's a problem in their faith. There's a problem in our faith at times. Church, move on. we got to keep moving. The next thing that happens is they move on in the story. It says in verse 6, And Moses said unto the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, He's not happy about this, if you can't tell by what he says. Um, Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? So here's Moses. So you want to sit here and go ahead and just take your inheritance. And the other 10 tribes, they're going to go to war and, you know, take over the land. That's not how that's not how God said this was going to go down, guys. And wherefore, discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land, which is uh, the, the Lord hath given them. Thus did your fathers when I sent them into Kadesh Barnea to see the land from uh, when they went up into the valley of Eshcol. They saw the land. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel. They should not go into land when the Lord had, had given them. That's the story I was telling you before. God sent 12 spies in and 10 of them came back and they were like, this is a terrible idea. Let me read the story. Uh, Numbers chapter 13 verses 25 to 33. <clears throat> this is when they had gotten back from going in and spying the land. It says, and they returned from searching the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Ephron and to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They had a cluster of grapes that was so big they had to carry it on a staff between two guys' shoulders. I like grapes a lot. <laughs> I, just, I just like fruit in general. But like this, this cluster of grapes, if you go back and read the story, is so big they have to like carry it on a staff between two guys' shoulders. And you're going to tell me that the promised land isn't everything that God said. That's, they came back with this. And they said unto him, We came into the land with thus in us that show us, uh, that, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and it is fruit of, here's the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. 
The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people. He's like, I've heard enough. He stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. This is a guy who remembered the walls of water that were parted so he could walk through the Red Sea. But the men that went with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched into the children of Israel, saying, The land which, thou, uh, we, which we have gone to search it is a land that uh, eateth up the inhabitants there, and the people that we saw in the land or, or, are in it, a, a man of great stature. And we saw, uh, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come uh, of the giants, and we were on our own side as grasshoppers, so, <clears throat> and so we did in their sight. They came back with this report, and the people were just devastated. This is why, you know, God basically said, Okay, um, I told you to go and you're not willing to go. That's a problem. And so anybody who was 20 years old and older didn't get to go to the promised land. Now fast forward to where we're at. And Moses sees what's happening with uh, Reuben and and, uh, and Manasseh. And, and he's like, wait a minute. Uh, this is not good. This is the same thing that happened before. You're going to discourage the hearts of the people. And the next thing that we sacrifice when we sacrifice today's pleasure for tomorrow's promise is we sacrifice unity in the body. That's a problem. We sacrifice unity in the body. The biggest mistake that the spies made when they went into the land, I could ask that question to a lot of people and I'd get a lot of different answers. I think the biggest mistake that the spies made when they went into the land and they came back, they just weren't obedient. What is it that God told them to do? God told Moses, Moses told them, go to the land and see it and come back and tell us if it's what I said it was going to be. And that's what they did. But they added to it. They did that, but they added to it. They said, oh, by the way, the people that are there, oh, man, they're huge. They're big. They're way bigger than us. Any of them could have said, uh, the Red Sea, that was a pretty big body of water. We walked right through it. They could have said, remember all the plagues in Egypt? Remember, Brian's preaching through them right now. Uh, They were pretty big, but we went right through it. All of the different things. The problem is, as Christians, we have these amazing stand on the mount kind of moments in our life and we forget about it tomorrow tomorrow comes along and we have something else that comes up in life and we just we totally forget about what god has already done and we think he's just completely incapable of bringing us through the next trial we have to have the faith to just continue to walk don't add to what god has asked you to do just be simply obedient eve had a problem with that in the garden she added to what god had said to do that's a problem Romans 12, chapter 12 and verse 4 and 5 says, For as uh, we have many members in the body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We all have a purpose in the body of Christ. And let me just explain to you, if you need this explained to you, nobody's purpose in the body of Christ is to bring everybody else down. So if you thought that that was your part in the body, I'm sorry, that's not it. Uh, your, your part in the body is not to bring everybody else down. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15 says, Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? You are part of something bigger? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a harlot? God forbid. Stop taking your Christian walk, your Christian life, your Christian testimony and running it through the world. Be in the world, not of the world. Yes, we have to go and work in the world and be around lost people. It doesn't mean we have to act like them or talk like them or live like them. So why do we sometimes? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Meaning, if you buy into where God has placed you in the body, man, there's peace in that. Because it says that he has put you there. That's why, if you go back to what we talked about at the beginning, if you can understand what it is that God has called you to do, man, there's peace in that. There's security in that. There's just rest in that. You might say, man, there's too much work around here to rest. I promise. If you're doing what God told you to do, there's rest in that. There really is. If you have peace that God has put you in the ministry where you are. Well, I'm in a lot of different ministries. Well, praise the Lord. Did God put you in all of them? That's a question for you. If you have peace that God has put you in the ministry where you are, then you can own it. 
like it's what you're supposed to be doing. Instead of always second-guessing, am I really supposed to, or am I supposed to be over there? Or instead of always trying to think, well, I can use this as my next, you know, job offer bargaining chip for the next ministry or whatever. When you just buy into where it is that God puts you until God tells you to go do something else, and if the whole body would do that, we'd get a lot of things done. My leg, using the analogy of a body, my leg doesn't have to uh, question its role in the body. It knows what its role is. Uh, take the next step. If not, the face is going to hurt when it hits the ground, right? Just in general. like you don't, So you, when you know your place in the body of Christ and you have peace in that, you don't have to wonder, well, am I supposed to step now? Or am I? You just do it because that's what God told you to do. And you can trust that your brother or your sister in Christ, they're going to do what they were told to do. And when you can do that, there's peace and there's, you know that God is getting something done. Why? Because you're doing your part. That's all you can do. Stop freaking out about everybody else and just do what he told you to do. Stop trying to do what he told somebody else to do. Well, if they're not going to do it, I guess I'll have to. That's not true. Sometimes there needs to be a hole for somebody to see that there's a need. If the same six people do all the work, what is it? I don't know where the number six is. The 80-20 rule, right? There's, there's, they, they, and I don't think this is true at HBF, but they say of churches, there's the 80-20 rule. Uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? That's a, that's a problem. Just do what it is that God told you to do and buy into it and have peace in that, right? Just have peace in that. It goes on the story. I, I gotta keep going. I promise I keep this short. Verse 10. And the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time. So the Lord was also not happy about these guys' idea uh, when, when, uh, when they didn't want to go into the land, uh, saying, Surely none of them that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, save Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh, and uh, the Kenzanite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. There was two of the spies that did right. And verse 13, And the Lord's anger uh, was kindled against Israel, and he made them to wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the uh, congregation that had uh, done evil in the sight of the Lord was uh, consumed. Verse, 15, or, uh, verse 14, And behold, you are risen up and your father said, he's like, you're acting just like him, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if you turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness and he shall destroy this people. The next thing that you sacrifice when you Take today's pleasure for what you know was promised later. Third thing is we sacrifice peace with Christ. There's something to be said with knowing that you have peace with Christ in your life. It's something that no lost person in the world can say. They can tell you that, oh yeah, I've got that figured out. Oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah. There's something to be said between a, a, a lost person and somebody who can truly say 100%. And take me now, Lord, and know where I'm going, and I know the promise is better. I'm not saying that I want to go now. I have things, I have goals in life, I have ministry still to do, I have a family still to raise up, but I have peace. A lost person doesn't have that peace. A lost person doesn't have that peace, and that's our job is to get that to them. Proverbs 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You feel like you ain't got no peace in your life? Start doing things that please the Lord. He says, even the, your enemies will be at peace with you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, if you look up just the word peace in the Bible, it's like 430-something times. Uh, I didn't write it down, but and that's just that form of it. But one of my favorite ones, and this just speaks of the peace that can come with Christ and only with Christ. Mark chapter 4, they're in the boat with Jesus, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat the ship. So it was now full. Like, they're taking on water. You ever felt like in your life you're taking on water? Right? It's not, it's not a good, it's not a good feeling. I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about, anyway, uh, and the waves beat the ship and it was now full and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Jesus is sleeping and they awake him and said in him, Master, care us not that we perish? They're like, do you don't even care that we're all gonna die and you're asleep in the bottom of the ship? Jesus, do something, is what they're saying. And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' face? I didn't think he was going to do that. 
I at least thought, I mean, I didn't know what I, I didn't know what he was going to do. You ever been in a place where you're like, God, please do something. And then it happens and it's like, well, that's probably not what my idea. That was even better. Praise the Lord. He's just like, uh, yeah, that was, that was, he said the wind stopped. The waves stopped. And, and I can only imagine there weren't even words spoken, at least not that were recorded. But the look on Jesus' face to the disciples and the disciples look back to Jesus. Their simple look of disbelief and his simple look of, where's your faith? Right? The last verse in that passage, he said, he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? This is where we find ourselves. We, we trade in peace with Christ because we're like, man, I don't know what it is. And I just feel like this, this job right here, I know it takes me away from home a little more often. I know I have to travel a little more. I know I have to sacrifice some things now. But man, anytime you have to talk yourself in to things like that, you should really make sure it's the will of God in your life, that it's God's plan for your life. Don't sacrifice peace with Christ so you can have whatever, whatever what is right in front of your face. Don't do it. Verse 16. This one hits close to home. And they came near unto him. So this is their explanation. Yes, we don't want to go in. We don't want to, we don't want to stay in the land, but Moses, hear us out. We've got a plan. And they came near unto him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and our cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready and armed before the children of Israel. Talking about the men only. We'll find out why that means that here in a minute. Until we have brought them into their place. And our little ones shall dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return into our houses until the children of Israel had inherited every man his inheritance. Well, it seems like a noble thing for them to do. We'll go to war. It's no big deal. We will go out. We will do the fighting. We will do everything that, that God said so they can get their land. That sounds great. There's a, there's a sacrifice when we take today's pleasure for tomorrow's promise. We sacrifice presence in the home. We sacrifice presence in the home. First Timothy 5.8, we understand this verse. It's a verse about, you know, hey, get a job and provide. First Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his house, his own house, he hath denied the face and is worse than an, inf- worse than an infidel. I say this is close to home because I spent a lot of time, years of my life, I won't even say days, weeks, or months, um, years of my life, just, I was, I was just born to work. Right? I just, lo- I love to work. I really do. Some people are like, why? I just do. I take pride in what I do. I love what I do. Um, and I, I've spent a lot of years chasing after that. And God had to really, whoa, slow down, son. Um, we sacrifice presence in the home. And so here's a question that I would just ask you, because I have to ask myself this all the time. We all have a job. You might be like, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You've got way more than I do as far as jobs go, Right? Uh, we all have a job, but what are you working for? We all have a job, but what are you working for? Are you working to provide for your needs? You're right. The, the Bible says in First Timothy 5, 8, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infill. I need to make sure that I have a place to live. I'm able to feed my kids. We're able to live life, right? Am I working to provide for our needs or to provide for our wants? And it's okay to have some things. I'm not the guy who's going to get up here and say, shame on you if you do anything that is fun outside of uh, the church. Because you need to make sure you are spending time with your family. You only have a certain amount of time with them. What I'm saying is you sacrifice a lot of time when you chase after that job or that thing or that hobby. And you know what you're sacrificing? You're sacrificing presence in the home. Your kids need you. Your wife needs you. Your husband needs you, ladies. There's a need for you to be available. So make sure. These guys, they're, they're, that's a really noble cause. Oh, yeah, we'll go to war. It's no big deal. How many years are you going to be gone so that you can have the green pasture right here? I don't know. It doesn't really tell us exactly how long it took. But I'm just saying, like, is that a sacrifice I'm willing to make? I know all the other kids, they're going with them as they go to war, the families. They're nearby as they go and conquer the land. It's a sacrifice. We sacrifice presence in the home. i got to keep going. I have a lot of things. I have one other thing I want to say about this. And I'll hit on it more in a minute. But somebody needs to hear this. Do not keep your family from your ministry. And do not keep your ministry from your family. 
I spend a lot of time talking about your job and all these different things. <clears throat> There's a lot of times that we, we put the holy cap on something because it's involved with the church. Well, that's, that makes it holy. It's at the church. That makes it holy. It, it's, it's something over here. It's, oh, I'm teaching. Oh, I'm doing this. And uh, it's still time away. Are you sure that that's what God has called you to do every time? Yes, he's called somebody to do it. But does the same person have to do all of it? Or the same, however, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, don't keep your family from your ministry and don't keep your ministry from your family. They should be one and the same, and I'll hit more on that in a minute. Verse 19, the next thing we sacrifice is we sacrifice future blessing when we take today's pleasure for tomorrow's promise. We sacrifice future blessing. This is one I want to kind of talk about for a minute. In verse 16, I'm sorry, that's not, yeah, that's right. No, that's not it. Uh. 19, verse 19. For we will not inherit with them. He, they're trying to assure Moses, we aren't going to go and take their land. We want, we, we will not inherit with them on yonder side of Jordan. And then something you might want to underline, circle, if you do any of that in your Bible, or forward. We're not going to go with them on the anything on the other side of Jordan or further. Because our inheritance has fallen us on this side of Jordan eastward. And Moses said unto them, if you will do this thing, if you will go armed before the Lord to war, and you will go, all of you, armed over Jordan before the Lord, even as he hath driven out his enemies before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But, if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You fill in the blank with whatever it is that you needed to have before that phrase. Be sure your sin will find you out. We sacrifice future blessing when we take what we can see today and that looks good and sacrifice it for what we can have tomorrow. Let me let me give you an example of this. Most of you don't know this about something. Most of you probably do know this about me because I've been very verbal about it in the past several years of my life. Uh, I really like warm weather. I'm not a fan of wintertime at all. I would be okay if it was never cold again in my life ever, right? I do not like cold weather at all. And we work outside in it a lot of times. We roughed a house in starting January 1st this year. I'm like, wow, we really planned things out well this year, right? It was crazy. And praise the Lord, this winter hasn't been terrible. But let me just, let me give you an analogy of what I'm talking about. I've never personally seen the Caribbean with my own eyes, other than like on a screen. It looks amazing. I've heard amazing things about the Caribbean. I would love to go there. I will. At some point in my life, unless God says no, I will go there. Hopefully, at least for a few days, just to rest. Right? I'm okay with going there uh, as, as, a, as a ministry. Lord, if you're listening, I would go. Send me. Right? I've also, though, I, I've never seen the Caribbean. But I have seen some things that look pretty nice. I've been to Florida several times. We went to South Texas on vacation once. They were, they were warm. It was nice there. I may be willing even on a cold day when it's snowing outside. If you told me that I could have the South Texas or the South Florida weather every day for the rest of my life, but I could never go to the Caribbean, I might be willing to take that deal and say, I'll go that far. If it means I never have to endure the cold, I'll go that far knowing that I can't go all the way. Right? And I know this is a very worldly, and you're like, what are you, where are you getting at with this? Well, hopefully you're tracking. How many of you have literally seen with your own eyes what heaven looks like? I know what the Bible says about it. I know the Bible says a lot about it. And I know that it doesn't scratch the surface of what it's going to be like. I know that, that there, are, there are promises in eternity that we can't even wrap our minds around. Right? And, and we think that we know what it's going to be like. We think that we know what it's going to be like enough that we're willing to sacrifice something of that magnitude for something that we can just have a hold of right now. Right? If it meant that I didn't have to, to do this thing. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, be careful with what you're willing to sacrifice. Be careful also before you say, that kind of thing would never happen to me. I would never sacrifice heaven, right? And I, okay, let me just time out for a minute, make sure everybody understands this. If you're born again, you cannot lose your salvation. I'm not saying that you can somehow uh, trade in your, your salvation uh, for a fiddle of gold, as uh, the devil likes to say in, uh, in the, the, the song, right? It doesn't work like that. What I am saying is uh, you can trade your standing when you get there, right? 
Everything that you do from the day you get saved moving forward is judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That is where your glorified body, what you look like, what you do from the from eternity start until forever is based on what you do from the day you get saved until the day you die. So what I am saying is you can change what you look like when you get there. I'm not saying you'll ever lose your position in heaven. So don't I don't want anybody to have that confused, okay? But I do want to say, be careful if you think that that could never happen to you, that that could, I could never trade that in, right? Some of the best men in the Bible sacrificed a lot of the future for ten- temporary pleasure, right? Adam's like, okay, Eve, that's what you want me to have. I'll have it, right? Esau, man, he was like, I don't care about my birthright. I'm hungry in the book of Genesis. Moses, he's like, hey, watch this. I'll hit the rock twice and it'll bring water out. He didn't do what God told him to do. What happens? Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. Aaron's like, I guess if you guys really want to dance around the fire and make a golden calf, I don't know where Moses is at. Let's do it, right? To appease the people, to, to, to keep the peace. David, he traded in, he was the man after God's own heart. He traded it in for what? Something he could see with his eyes. Solomon, man, he, he got that from his dad. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, he ended up with like 700 wives and 300 concubines. He's trading in the promises of God for something he can have right now. Judas Iscariot, he was one of the 12 closest men with Christ, and he traded it in for for some money. Be careful when you say, that would never happen to me, because some of the best men in the Bible it happened to. The sixth thing we sacrifice when we trade in what we can have today for what we could have in eternity, verse 24. He says, build your cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do that which hath proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of uh, Gad and the children of uh, Reuben spake unto Moses, saying, thy servants will do as thy Lord commandeth. Our little ones, our wives, see, that's why I know that their wives are staying back as well. Our flocks, all our cattle shall be in the cities of Gilead. But thy servants will pass over every man armed armed for war before the Lord to battle, as my Lord saith. It goes on to explain what they're going to do. They're going to go into battle uh, with them. And then when it's when when they get done uh, conquering the land, they'll come back. Um, but but the next thing that we sacrifice, and I, I kind of hit on this earlier when I said we sacrifice presence in the home, we sacrifice our family. Sometimes we sacrifice our family when we trade in what we can have right now for what we know is promised later. Your family, whether you're a man or a woman, sometimes ladies think that this is only for the men. Whether you're a man or a woman, they simply want to be a part of what you're doing. It took me a long time for me to realize this. And I'll be the first one to tell you. It took me a long time to realize that my, my wife just wants to come along with what I'm doing. My kids just want to hang out with dad. Or at least they did before they were all teenagers. Now, sometimes. But, you know, they, they just wanted to come and be a part of what I was doing. Right? And, and I, I traded a lot of that in for a lot of quote-unquote godly things. Can I go back and change it? No. I'm just saying, when we sacrifice the promise of what today can give us for what we know is promised in eternity, we sacrifice our families. Too often we try to, we do this thing that we, I call it over-spiritualizing things. We over-spiritualize things. We try to make every simple little thing in life some big godly experience, right? And I'm a firm believer that God is a part of your everyday life. I'm also a firm believer that if you just choose not to do the things that you know you're supposed to do, that's not God's fault, right? Uh, If you get to the end of the day and you're like, I'm really hungry. I wonder why God didn't feed me today. It's because you didn't stop to eat, right? I'm really thirsty. I wonder why I just said I can't work anymore. Um, It's not God's fault that you didn't stop and get a drink and continue on down the line. We, we tend to over-spiritualize things when sometimes it's just like, hey, if you, who knows what to do, if you're in the Word of God and choose not to do it, that's on you. Your family needs to see you doing the things that you're talking about. Too often, like, oh, I've got to go to church and do this, or I've got to go and do that, and they need to see you being involved. They want to be a part of what you're doing. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you do not include them in the things that you're involved in, that they become disinterested in the things that you're involved in. Yeah, I really want my kids to be bought into the mission of God when they get older. But why can't they be bought into the mission wherever you're at right now? Well, I don't know. I don't. I just 
I'm, I'm just saying, I've, I've seen, seen the fruit of this in my own life. Um, allow your kids, allow your wife, allow your husband, allow your family to be a part of what it is that God has called you to do right now. Well, this is my ministry over here. Well, there needs to be your ministry. When we discipled people, we would have the kids hang out with the kids of the families we were discipling. We tried to make it a family affair all we could. We, you know, all the, try to get your kids involved. Try to get your wife involved. It, it's, it has to be that way because if not, it, it all falls by the wayside. Maybe not all of it, but I promise there will be a time in life when you look back and you're like, huh, I wonder if I would have done more with them. I don't know. We sacrifice our families. That's what happens. They say, we'll go to war. They'll stay here. Well, what's saying that, and, and I don't know, and we just, obviously there's just the faith in God, I guess, but what's saying the enemy's not going to circle around and take them while you're gone? What's it? We don't know. We sacrifice our families. Last point, I'm, I'm done. I'm out of time. We sacrifice the choice of the the next generation. Verse 33. And Moses said unto them, even unto the children of Gad and of the children of Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land, the cities thereof, and the coast, even the cities of the country round about. And he goes on and says, this is going to be your land. Here's your inheritance right here. I can give it to you now. We don't even have to go to the other side because this is yours. This is what you get. Um. We sacrifice the choice of the next generation. Now, there's a couple things I wanted to see here. Uh, the children of Reuben and Manasseh, the children of Reuben and Manasseh, they'll never get to say, they never get a say in where their future lies. They may have been like, man, I, I really wanted to go to the promised land, Dad. It sounded great. They don't get that choice. Parents choose wisely. Man, we're busy this weekend. I don't know if we can make it to church. We were busy this month. I don't know if we can make it to church. Yeah, I know you wanted to go to the vision conference. They were having a, you know, a Bible school for the kids, but we, we got this other, we got this other stuff going on. And, and I'm, obviously I'm using things that are right here and present with us, but I'm just saying, um, when you choose not to make the things of God important, then they don't have a choice. And then when you want them to make the right choice, we, we throw our hands up like, what are they doing? Um, the children of Reuben and Manasseh, they never get a say where their future lies. Now, let me make this practical. It's really hard to, to be the first to break a cycle of sin in your family. Too often we say, well, I'm like this because my mom was like, I'm like this because my dad was like, I'm just an angry person. That's how my dad was, how his dad was, right? Or uh, there's always been this sin in my family. And it's just, an, and let me just tell you, it's really hard to be the first to break the cycle of sin in a family. Generational sin is hard to break. If you don't believe me, you can talk to Pastor Steve Fleshman, the Life Issues Pastor, like, He's seen this. Generational sin is something that's hard to break. You know why? Because you have a built-in excuse of why you can't do it. But if you're born again and you have the Spirit of God inside your life, you also have the only reason that you will always be able to do it. And it's because Jesus can. Generational sin's hard to break. If you won't do it for yourself, do it for your children or your grandchildren. Don't think that the pasture's green enough here to sacrifice what is promised over there. Because your kids, man, they suffer because of that. Make sure that your kids understand that there's a choice in life. Now, don't get me wrong, and I'll finish with this. We, we raise up our kids in the church for the most part. If you're here on Sunday morning, and we say, oh, you have to be in the church. Every time the church doors are open, we've got to be there. We've got to be there. And the church is important, and all these, and it is. Absolutely it is, especially when they're young. But make sure that they understand that it's a choice. It's not a mandate. Now, when my kids were, my kids were five, six, seven, yeah, you're going to come to church because you can't stay at home by yourself. But at some point, uh, I, I need to know that you're coming to church because it's your choice and not mine. Why? Because there's a day in every parent's life when you realize, I don't have a say anymore. And um, I hope that my testimony of allowing you to have a choice allows you to make the right one. Right? Does that make sense?
If we tell our kids that the Jesus is the only way, now you're like, wait a minute, he is, he is the only way, if that's the path that you're after. But I want my kids to know Jesus isn't the only way. You can choose the world, and I can show you what it will do to you. It is your choice still. I don't get to make it for you. Jesus is the only way if you want to live a lifestyle that is fruitful for him, that will give glory to him, that brings honor to him. But he's not the only way. You can choose the wrong way. That's the hardest thing for a parent to come to a realization with. But you know what your, what your child, your teenager, is going to respect more out of you than anything else? Is when you tell them, you get to make that choice. It's almost like the day that you realized Jesus said to you, salvation is available and it's free and it's for you, but I'm not going to make you do it. You get to decide if it's for you or for not. And you're like, wait a minute. Well, I can't. Yeah, you can because your, your child has already come to that realization that it's up to them. You can support them in it. You can bring them along in it. Hopefully you've lived a life with a testimony that promotes the benefit in it. But be careful sacrificing the choice of the next generation. When I graduated HBI, I had to write a dissertation, and I wrote my dissertation. It's basically a really long paper. It's the best way that I can explain it. I still don't completely understand it. I just understand it was a really long, uh, and I wrote it on why, at the time, we were involved in the, the high school ministry quite a bit here at the church, and I wrote uh, my dissertation on uh, why the youth are leaving the church and never coming back. And basically what it boils down to is their parents' church never became their church. right? And I can't speak for every young person in the room, but I'm just telling every young person in the room, if at some point you don't buy into this thing, there will be a time when you walk out the doors and you just don't come back. Now, it may take years, and then you do eventually come back. I'm just telling you, make it yours. And uh, older generation, and I hate to be like this, but I'm the older generation now. I never was, but I am now. We have to be okay with the youth making it their church and uh, allowing things to to change if they need to. I don't know if they need to or not. I'm just saying uh, when, when we're so dogmatic on, then don't be surprised when, whenever, when we're like, where'd everybody go? I don't see anybody in here that's younger than 35. Well, it's not me anymore. <laughs> I'm just, we have to be willing to give a little. We can't sacrifice the choice of the next generation because we're willing, you know, we say, well, I can have this right now, Right? And I hope that kind of, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at that point in general, but it hits close to home with me. I've got three teenagers in the house. Um, you can't make the decision for them forever. But you can really guide them in the decisions that they make. I hope that makes sense. All right, let's pray and we will be, uh, we'll be finished. Uh, Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your word and Lord of, of, I went long. Um, I truly am a disciple of Brian Hedges. And uh, Lord, I, I do. I thank you for your word and the truth that's in it. And uh, Lord, you're good. Uh, I'm not. We are not. We try our best and, and our best efforts are as filthy rags, Lord. But I do pray that um, when we look at what the world has to offer even today uh, in front of our face, whether it's a, a job or a, a, an opportunity, a ministry or whatever it is, that we wouldn't be willing to sacrifice something that we know is true for something that we, we just don't we don't know right we would take we would take a job offer that we don't know but it means we'd have to sacrifice the word or worse yet that we would sacrifice eternity in heaven and our standing with what that is in our life and sacrifice it for temporary gains for temporary pleasure Lord, there's sacrifice that comes with it. Lord, I pray that we don't lose our identity in Christ. We are all children of you. We are born-again believers if we have that security, Lord. And um, Lord, we can all have that security. Uh, we all have the opportunity to know who you are face-to-face, name-to-name, and to know that you know my name, that you would know our name. Lord, we just have to call out to you. Uh, this hasn't been a salvation message. Lord, I've been trying to, to reach the saints, but Lord, if there's somebody in here who's lost that just doesn't understand, they don't completely grasp what I'm talking about, but they know that, man, if, if you were to call them today, uh, it wouldn't be, they, they're not ready. 
Now, the Lord, there's a way that they can be ready. The word of God is very plain. It's very clear. It's through a man named Jesus Christ. He wants to meet you. He wants to know you. He wants to show you that you can lay down all of your work and take on his burden and he'll take yours. Uh, Lord, we, we just, uh, we can have the peace that comes with that. We don't have to fight in an endless cycle of I'm trying, but I just can't get there because Lord, we just need peace with you. Lord, if, if there's somebody here that's just like, I, I need to be saved. I don't know what this means, but I just know that I need that peace in my life. Uh, just, just raise your hand, look at me and I'll, I'll come and talk to you. I'll talk to you personally. Because this is more important than anything else we've talked about. The Bible says that when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. The congregation would rejoice. We rejoice in the fact of we know who you are and the truth of what your word says and that there's truth in it. Lord, I pray that you would just be with your, your church. Be with Pastor Brian as he's out. There's a big week coming up. I pray you would just give us some rest this week. There's a lot going into what's what's coming up in the next week. And I pray that you would just really call out people uh, individually so that they can own what it is that you've called them to do and that they can buy into it and own it. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that's in it. Lord, I do pray if there's somebody here that's lost and they're just wrestling with it, they find me. Uh, when, when the service is over, they would find somebody they know and they would settle that fact because eternity rests on the balance of whether you walk through the door or not, whether you believe by faith or not, because that's what Christ has told us to do is just simply believe. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the opportunity to preach. I pray that you would uh, just uh, just bless uh, the rest of the service as we wrap up in Christ's name. Amen.